Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizard on the Twitters. Uh, ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And this is going to be the rare episode where I kind of wish we had like a soundboard so I can make like sound effect noises because we're going to talk about canon. It'd be fun if there was like canon kablooey every time we said the word canon. Oh my god. That would be the worst <laughs> podcast to listen to ever. It'd be like an air horn going off every five minutes or also, less. Also, I need an air horn. No. Do-do-do! There's no, there's no uh, Diplo in the room. We don't need an air horn. Why isn't there Diplo in the room? Oh, that's a good question, Liz. I feel like if we invited Diplo, and by Diplo I obviously mean James Vanderbeek, to the podcast, he'd probably come on. Would you let James Vanderbeek be a guest on the podcast? Because you're very picky. I'll make you a deal. Okay. If if Sea Oak gets picked up by Amazon, okay, then James Vanderbeek can come be on the podcast. He's that good in Sea Oak. He's barely in it. Okay. But he's, he is good. He's James Vanderbeek. He's always good. It's more of like it's on the fence. I could be pushed either way. I like him a lot. But we do have a high bar for guests. Yeah. So. It's a high bar. He's got to stay current. Yeah. If he's on another show, that makes two. Right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Uh, anyway. That's it, folks. <laughs> no, that's. See you next week. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> we were talking about the canon of who is allowed on the podcast and who's not. Um, we're actually talking about this kind of, which is a thing that I feel like it used to be kind of a big deal and now is less of a big deal, but now, or, and then became less of a big deal and now is more of a big deal, which is the idea of what is, what is officially part of a storytelling experience, um, and what isn't. And in this particular case, uh, this is inspired by Ben plowing through this thing called a book. This is like, now talk me through this. Oh, well, I mean, I, I thought we were talking about if the Orville was Star Trek canon. Oh, don't you dare. <laughs> I thought that was the whole... I thought that was our premise. No, You want no. me to talk about Mark Frost's book? Because I can talk, talk about... We're going to talk about Twin Peaks. Oh, I love talking about Twin Peaks. What a great idea, Liz. <laughs> yeah, it was your idea. No, I, I thought... I, I, again, I thought it was an uh, Orville podcast, but... Oh, um, okay. For the record, I do not hate the Orville. I'm just mad at it. <laughs> <laughs> she just holds a grudge. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I, I do love Twin Peaks, and I did spend uh, a recent weekend reading uh, the new Twin Peaks book by Mark Frost, the co-creator, uh, called Twin Peaks, The Final Dossier. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book that fills in a lot of details, both uh, in between what happened in the 25 years between season two and the return, um, just kind of about... Not every character in, in the story, not every character in Twin Peaks, uh, but a lot of them. And it's presented literally as files uh, written up, reports written up by Tammy, uh, Gordon Cole's favorite assistant from The Return, uh, and sent to him. So she's often talking to Gordon Cole, who obviously was played by David Lynch, um, in, the, in the memos and in the reports. And then she'll sneak in like a few opinions every once in a while, um, like the pages of the book are like they have red color markings and they look kind of like tabs and then like each one has like a um there's there's random kind of beautiful uh artwork in between a few of them too like there's a a shot of the diner like the double r diner um there's a shot of the woods it's it's actually a really beautifully put together book but it's interesting to experience as both um 
just a heavy dose of information. Like it, it literally does. I mean, because they're reports, they literally just are packed dense with stuff that happened in the last 25 years, uh, as well as what kind of happened a little bit after the end of the return back in um, the original timeline. But uh, it, it also forms a pretty good narrative. So there's an interesting side of it where you can easily see this as an epilogue of sorts to the show, but it's always weird for me, both as a critic and a viewer, when I think about this kind of thing, because I never know how much you should be expected to know and what really applies. Like, we're living in a day and age where a revival can literally ignore the ending of a TV show. Like, Will and Grace comes back, and they're just like, no, that, that ending we what wrote... babies? That didn't, yeah, that, there are no babies. It didn't happen. Um, but with something less uh, frivolous about it, like, it's interesting to me to think, like, okay, well, if they do decide to go back to Twin Peaks, is all of this stuff going to be canon? Like, is it going to be something that you're just kind of not expected to know, necessarily, but... Um, they're not going to betray it. They're not going to alter this at all if they have to make more episodes. And if, if for some reason something he put out in the book doesn't line up with what they want to do next, would they change it? I mean, I, I, it's something I always kind of struggle with. And for me, when I'm, when I'm critiquing something, the only thing that matters is on screen. You shouldn't have to read anything outside of, of the TV show. You shouldn't have to look at an interview or... Um, dig into some reports or, or talk to a PR agent. You shouldn't have to do anything other than watch the show to appreciate and understand what's going on in it. Um, but when you get kind of this bonus stuff, it's so fun to dig into and learn all of it. And then at the same time, you're thinking to yourself, like, well, is this going to stick? And it's it's something that I know, Liz, you've, you've dealt with for a long period of time because you've dug into a lot of different um, shows that spawn such a big fandom that they have so much writing and commentary and information outside of the show that whenever you get into a discussion with fans about it, these kind of points come up. Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't know how valid that is. No, it's incredibly, it, like, when you really dig into it, it can be incredibly complicated. Especially, like, even, even just within the realm of Twin Peaks, um, I know that this is not the first book that Mark Frost has written about the world of, the world of Twin Peaks. And uh, various, we actually uh, had uh, someone review it, uh, review the last one before this one uh, for us. And back in the back, like, I think two years ago, I think that was when that ran. Um, and, but I remember, like, during TCAs, uh, when, when we had David Lynch for that very brief period of time, uh, somebody asked him directly, like, does that, d- did that Mark Frost book, does that, is that canon? Like, is that part of the narrative that you're going to be telling in this, in this show? And David Lynch is like, nope, nope, that's just Mark's version, and uh, that's not what we're doing now. And so even, so it's to the point where even, like, something written by the co-creator of the show can't, isn't, is, was dismissed as non-canon for the, for, uh, by David Lynch. And is there word on are we considering this book canon? Like, has anyone said anything? Uh, I mean, nobody's talked to Lynch about it specifically, but I don't expect him to. What's interesting to me about this book as opposed to the last one is that this was obviously written after the fact, like after the shoot, after they'd written this other script. Right. And it feels very much like backstory that they would have known mm-hmm. making this show right um, it d- not a lot of it feels like a creation uh, unto itself that's that's in addition to what already happened so much as it's just like 
this is almost like our Bible that we had, and I'm going to share it with you in narrative form uh, so that you know a few more things about what was going on in this very crazy fucking show, uh, which the other book was not quite like that, but you, you could make an argument that, that there was elements of that as well. So, Yeah, I mean, is Lynch credited in any way with on the book? No, 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 no. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, like this is something that uh, you know fandoms of all sorts have had to deal with for years. Uh, famously, the Star Wars universe uh, had you know basically from nearly the very beginning of the entire franchise, they you know had tie-in novels and comics and video games and so forth that expanded the world of the films beyond just you know those three original movies, um, and. And famously, by the way, there's a there's I think my mom has a copy of this. There was a, a tie-in novel released between uh, Star Wars: New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, uh, written by somebody who wasn't George Lucas, and Luke and Leia totally hook up in it. Oh right, I remember this. Yes, uh, which is that's gross. Yeah, it's gross, but they didn't know Ben. Remember, right. remember a time when you didn't know that Luke and Leia were brother and sister. Spoiler alert. No, I didn't. I don't remember that time. Of course, I of barely course. remember what I first saw. <laughs> you can't remember when you first saw Star Wars. I was a very little wee lad. Ah, back in the old country. <laughs> yes, I remember the VHS tape. That was pretty sweet. Oh yeah, wait, wait, did you have the one like the very graphic one with like the close up on the faces? No, I had the one with the. Oh, like you, had the, you had the like, the, the, the like cool a, like 80s like yeah, Conan like, the Barbarian one. I had that yeah, too. Yeah. Actually, I think that is the copy of the movies I have in my house. I hope. I think we still have them. If my well, Anne Anne will tell us. <laughs> I think we still have them. Though. Yeah. So Ma Travers will write in. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll be able to get back to you guys next week with this. Right. But no, I mean that's a I mean that's a very that's a very good example of something that would be so disconcerting, like when you. Especially because when they wrote that, they didn't know, like you said. So then when you watched it, if you had already read that part of the story, I'd be so thrown off by that. Like, this to me is is kind of the danger of these things. Like, it's... uh, On the one hand, you can obviously understand that there's different stories to be explored. It's all fiction. It's all made up. So you can appreciate kind of just... Uh, the beauty of taking a story in a whole other direction and then you see the movie and the movie goes in a different direction, that's fine and whatever. But um, there is that kind of purist in me who just wants to understand, no, this is actually what happened. And for me, like the the Blade Runner thing always comes back to me and that's not uh, an additional writing of any sort. So it's an interview where Ridley Scott was insistent that he was, that spoiler alert, that Deckard was a replicant. Mm -hmm. And it was so jarring to me when I heard that because I never thought he was and I didn't like the interpretation that he was so then the director telling me that that's what I had to believe was one of those things where it's like okay well this is why we all can kind of absorb art differently yeah. um, and then the new movie came out and did a beautiful job thank you Denis but uh, but yeah I mean there's it's it's it gets complicated when you're just trying to maybe not discern right from wrong but like from from fact from fiction in, so in fiction in fiction yeah, yeah. No, and I think the the reason I brought up Star Wars is that because it's such a sp- it was such a sprawling universe for so many years, within Lucasfilm they actually created like a color coded system for levels of canon. Like the movies, one hundred percent canon, one hundred percent. The and then like it would be the you know lower and lower levels of canon. Like you know some of the video games would be le- considered less canon than others. And then basically right around the time of the Disney acquisition. Uh, Start, the, the, the Lucasfilm basically kind of was like, eh, 
actually that whole expanded expanded universe thing. We're just gonna toss that out. Like that's the le- it's like the legacy now. It's, it doesn't officially count as canon. Things included in that include um, Jenny Tar- Tartarovsky's original Clone Wars uh, Aww, animated series. Eric's so sad. I know. Um, and like all these novels, all these all these video games, and then they, but they kind of like. They did that so they could kind of start over from scratch and sure. be like, we have these movies and these TV shows because they were also getting into TV and these new video games and we're just going to keep it simple until it goes gets out of control again, um, which I can respect from a store. I can respect the having to make that decision and having to deal with it. But it also, you know, a lot of people were like, like I know, I think my brother um, is a big Star Wars fan, but his favorite part of the Star Wars universe is like this one video game. Like if he doesn't, you know, if he had to rank everything Star Wars, he would put that above the movies. I think. Um, so well, it's interesting too when there's when there's movies that are spawned from properties. Like you talk about those adaptations, and right. you're like, well, um, you, we get you get in those arguments when you see a movie and you're complaining about the movie, and then somebody read the book goes, well, actually, in the book this happened, so it does make sense, and you're like, well, okay, no, because I'm not talking about the book, I'm talking about the movie. But the other side of it is like if um, when they're adapting comic books, like mm-hmm. I know, obviously, I'm not going to start on this because it'll take over the whole podcast, <laughs> but the Justice League thing is a huge problem. <laughs> like there are there are associations that people have made with what the Justice League is supposed to be and who these characters are and um, this first time they're coming to the big screen just looks so far away from that like they have they have moved away from I guess what the canon of the comic books would be mm-hmm. into this whole new thing because God knows what Warner Brothers is doing over there like I mean I, I know that they've made these creative choices for reasons I don't understand them I will never understand them I would love to have a sit down with with Jeff Johns and, and everybody over at, at the Warner Brothers DC entertainment world but that's not gonna happen so but the idea of that gets really frustrating and people get hung up on it sometimes that's all you think about like mm-hmm. you're sitting there and you're like I, I mean I don't want to go see this because it's it's ruining something that I've already, cherished so like your brother liking that video game and then them ignoring it later down the line it's like well but that was good like you did something good you should be able to just build on that you should be able to replicate it and then there's also the problem of like do you want to just take those stories and put them into a movie like if they wrote a really good comic book or if they wrote a really good book or if they had a video game that could be adapted properly into a movie can you just take that and put it in a movie, mm-hmm. and it exists in a whole other way, and more people can see it, and it's it works like that. Or are you just kind of becoming redundant because people have already experienced that story? Yeah, I had a friend who uh, saw Thor Ragnarok, and he's he, he knows the comics much better than I do, and he was like, "Ugh, they just took that one story. They took that one storyline that was great from Thor, and then they just added better. They added good jokes." And he was so <laughs> dismissive of the movie, which I and like I having not read those comics, I like just was like this fun movie. Thor hit things with hammer. Hammer break. Very sad. That did uh, look sad. I had a yeah. nightmare about it. You had a nightmare about Mjolnir? Uh, I don't know who that is. I had a that's nightmare. That's the hammer. Oh, it's called what? Mjolnir. Uh, that's shocking. I, I had a nightmare where um, that scene in the trailer where Kate Blanchett crushes the hammer. Right. That, like, I watched that happen, and I got really upset. And I got, like, really worried about what was going to happen to Thor, because he didn't have his hammer anymore. Yeah. And then I woke up, and I go, I don't give a shit about this movie. <laughs> Why am I having a, a nightmare about it? Uh, 
But no, yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of the weird reaction that everybody gets. And I think it's one of those things where you just have to get down to it. You're not going to be able to please everybody. Right. So you want to please the most people. And most people who watch that movie have not read that comic. Right. So it's good that they took something that was successful in the comics and just, you know, added life to it or whatever. It's assuming, you know, it's good and people enjoy it. I, uh, I mean, which I... Which people seem to. Yeah, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but also, like I said, my friend didn't enjoy it, but I think he was very aware of the fact that those that, that comic run existed. Yeah. I think and so. I, on, on my end, I get into that same argument a lot with, again, going back to the problems in the DC Universe. It's like they have all of these stories that are written down in the comics that are so, so good. You have arcs that could last you 10 movies mm-hmm. and build this franchise on, and you're just leaving them there like you're ignoring them you don't want to use them or you're incorporating them very badly like they did the death of superman and batman versus superman like oh that God, was just yeah. that had that was so far removed from what it actually was but they they just butchered it so then it's it's that idea of some people want to see that put to the big screen some people are excited. i mean that's the basis for a lot of comics and a lot of uh properties that get brought up you're like you want to see that interpretation on the big screen um, and some of you want it to be pure, and some of the people are just excited to see the best version of it, and it's just very hard to hit that right note. Um, and when you have to think about whether or not you're respecting the choices that have already been made in the past, which is what canon is all about, it just complicates things even further. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about the X-Files now. Good. I think we've been more, uh, because it, you, you, you set me up for it early on, so I appreciate that. Um, but the X-Files is going to hit a really interesting thing where... Um, so the, they're in between season nine. I feel like it predated the 2008 movie, but I could be wrong. But in between the two, the the show ending in 2002, and uh, the show coming back just uh, two year last year, gosh, 2016. In between, there was a series of comics called the X Files season 10, uh, and these were meant to these were stories that were basically like co-written by Chris Carter um, and adapt for the comics uh, for a comic book format and it was new adventures with Mulder and Scully you could tell that Chris Carter wrote them because Mulder and Scully got separated like immediately and then because right. that's that's how Chris Carter writes an X-Files story it's like how can I make sure that Mulder and Scully don't talk to each other at all except for like one scene right at the beginning it's exciting <laughs> sounds like what everybody wants exactly definitely Chris Carter oh Chris Carter we should have Chris Carter on the podcast I'd allow it. I mean, he's really nice, and he. Every time I talk to him, I find myself forgiving him. <laughs> um, I've just ensured he will never be on the podcast. I'm sure. Nah. Um, but anyways, point is that. Um, point is that. So in the season ten comics books, I'm going to try to keep this relatively simple, um, though there's a lot you could talk about in regards to this. Um, the lone gunmen who theoretically were killed in the middle of season nine are revealed to be not dead and oh, yeah. and, and actually alive. Now, in the lead up to what is actually now the real season 11 of the X-Files revival, which is coming to Fox this, this uh, winter slash spring, depending on when they, depending on why they want to premiere with uh, football. Uh, football. What? Football. Football. Um, so it basically, in this upcoming season 11, I believe it has been confirmed that the lone gunmen are not dead, are going to be involved in some way. Now, 
Are they going to use the season 10 comic book canon that was established? Are they going to come up with a whole new reason for the Lone Gunman to be alive? Meanwhile, you have those same comic book stories, which are being adapted, which have been adapted as audiobooks uh, for Audible. Uh, shout out to uh, Rosa at Audible. Yeah, she, Rosa. If she listens to this, which I don't think she does, but shout out to her. Um, but anyways, uh, Audible... Audible, the Audible audiobooks go so far as to actually cast Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny and the rest of the cast um, in their roles. So you have Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny performing these stories in just an audio form, but are they canon with the, with the, with the show? Are they going to actually uh, sync up in any way? Probably not, but it's still a weird, disconcerting thing. Um, Certainly, I know that I think I think David Duchovny was asked about this during Comic Con. He was like, "Nah, yeah," because <laughs> David Duchovny's give a shit is it's very low, very low, as it should be, as it should be. No, I I, I fully enjoy David Duchovny's lack of lack of sh- lack of shit giving. He has the appropriate amount of shit giving to me, just because I feel like there'd be so much for him to keep up with, and if that's all he focused on, it would just dominate his life. And David Duchovny is doing a lot of things. He is an author. He is a musician. Yes. He obviously acts and directs in other projects. So, I mean, he's a busy dude. I would like to see him act and direct more of his own stuff. Oh, absolutely. I miss that. Me too. He, some of his X-Files episodes were the best X-Files episodes. I hope he comes back to Better Things a couple of times too. Oh, my God. Yeah, the fact that he hasn't been on Better Things since that, first, since that one episode is, is sad making to me. He should just be some sort of like recurring character of David Duchovny, the actor, who's like really... Kind of, kind of uppity and snobby and and not good at his job. Like that was such a funny like flipperoo for him to do with. I don't know. I yeah, really no, it was a great. It, but, it was a great cameo. Um, I like I like any time when David Duchovny basically plays himself, such as Gary Shanley or like yeah. Larry Sanders show. That yeah. was a great run as well. And he was terrific on Twin Peaks, just to bring it full circle. Yeah. Terrific on Twin Peaks. Fact. Canon <laughs> opinion. <laughs> Canon opinion. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the interesting thing about kind of the canon discussion too is, it's something that it's something that is determined a lot by your give a shit factor. Mm-hmm. If you're somebody who just watches a show to watch the show and you don't worry about anything else that's going on and you're able to keep up with it, you're just gonna take it as it is. Um, but if you fall in love with the show to the degree in which so many of these properties, obviously, uh, people have done then it, it, it morphs into this whole bigger thing. And you have to kind of consider what's best for the property when you're doing all these different versions and iterations and explorations of it. Um, because it will affect how your most devout viewership interprets what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's something that I think about a lot when I think about people picking up old properties these days, like somebody who's rebooting something or... Uh, you know, restarting something or just taking an established property that's been done a few times before, there's just certain expectations that go along with it. And to me, that's a very intimidating idea, especially as a writer, to to grab something and say, you know what, I know how to make the best version of this, and I'm going to continue it, or I'm going to recreate it, or I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to make that version. Right. Um, that's a it's a it's a big deal, and I. I'm always fascinated. I, I love when you can step back and just be the Duchovny and not give a shit and just enjoy <laughs> it as it is. Be but the I Duchovny. totally get the other side of it where you get totally hung up on these things that have existed and it feels like you can't ignore. 
because that affects how you interpret the narrative. So, yeah, I definitely have lost sleep slash um, much mental sanity, uh, killing myself over various like canon things, like you know, nitpicking my way through certain plot things, uh, like everything from like you know. Buffy retconning something to Star Trek, one Star Trek franchise directly contradicting something that happened in another Star Trek series. Like, I, yeah, I've, I've, I've lost my damn mind over this stuff. Um, I'm usually more of the not give a shit. Like, yeah. you're the Scully and I'm the Mulder. Like, I'll, I'll not give a shit pretty well, but I do get hung up on very strange particular things. You do. Um, it is, it, it is, uh, it reminds me that I really do want to see, like, I, I, I feel like, if we could make like an office outing of going to see Justice League, I would make be so happy because I really want to see your reaction. Like I want like a live feed of you watching this movie to oh. accompany it on like the DVD. I'd only go if John went. I feel like he's the only one who understands what I'm about to go through with that horrific looking experience. I think I bet we could get John to come. And I li- no, he doesn't want to go. <laughs> Damn it, John. And I like Ben Affleck as Batman. Yeah. I think he's I think that was good casting. All cast. the casting in that movie looks but really good. Jason Momoa? Like, oh. He fits. He's so funny. Sure. I love him. All right. All right. Um, I also want to note that I really want t-shirts. If we make if we made t-shirts out of anything we've said on this podcast, a t-shirt saying be the Duchovny would really amuse me. Someone wants be the Duchovny. Be the Duchovny. That's like a good zen state. Yeah. You know, you could be be really uptight and really crazy about stuff, or just be David Duchovny and don't give a shit. Yeah, and it's 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 a very specific kind of don't give a shit because, yeah. as we mentioned, he's very passionate about a oh, lot yeah. of things, and he's not he does not take the X Files lightly either. Mm-hmm. He just when he's in those situations of being asked about canon or whatever, it's like yeah, I can't like I just and it's like good yeah. don't like don't waste your mental energy on things that you just can't keep it like they're going to take over too much like it was was, the last panel i saw at this year's comic con was uh, david duchovny uh talking about the x-files audiobooks and it was like it was so lovely it was just because he it was i was so tired and so burned out and just hearing him just be like meh like just flat out dismissing questions from the audience just being like i don't care like it was it was it was a, it was a good moment for me. It was it was it was very soul. It was very 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 satisfying. And on the opposite end of that, I've talked to David Duchovny about Hank Moody of Californication, and he just lights up. Yeah, no, that's the, the, the pro tip for talking to David Duchovny: bring up Californication. Or is I mean, or, is or music? Aquarius. Well, or no, Aquarius books? will probably probably be sad for him. I'd be curious to talk to him about Aquarius because I mean, he did he did great work on Aquarius, and it, yeah. it was a solid two seasons of TV. So. It's probably disappointing that it didn't continue on, but at the same time, he's nothing to be ashamed of. Very, very good show. I'm glad that this this podcast contains way more discussion of David Duchovny as a person than I thought it would initially. Love Duchovny. Love Duchovny. Um, be the Duchovny. Be the Duchovny. Be the Duchovny in your own lives. Um, <laughs> I mean, if, if we've missed, like, a really egregious example of someone screwing up canon, uh, feel free. Oh, I mean, I'm sure we have. Yeah, like... <laughs> But like, if you have like, if you have one that's always just kind of rankled you, uh, feel free to email us at liz at indiewire.com and ben at indiewire.com because I'd be fascinated to know like what's the one that really got under your skin. Um, and in the meantime, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Man, great question, Liz. Um, you've been slowing through a lot of reviews. I've been doing a few reviews. Um, we just did this on Monday, so it hasn't been. It hasn't, hasn't been, been a lot that of time. Much of a change, but. 
Uh, I will say that uh, Fresh Off the Boat, I think I've mentioned this recently, but their most recent episode was particularly good. Um, And I think if you're not catching up, or if you're not keeping up with that, um, you're you're doing yourself a disservice. It's, it's It's a very, very funny, smart, and heartfelt comedy when you really mean all of those words to the max. Like, those are easy kind of descriptors to throw out, especially with a lot of the stuff you see on ABC and um, nothing against Speechless because that's also doing a, a tremendous job in its second season. But Fresh Off the Boat really had a tremendous episode um, that was very nuanced and, and took on some issues in a in a encouraging way. So I'd, I'd very strongly recommend that anybody, if you're not caught up, catch up. If you haven't watched it yet, definitely you're going to you're gonna love it. The cast alone is just outstanding, but it's a, it's an incredibly well done season. Or uh, yeah, I mean season, but series as well. Yeah, my only problem with Fresh Off the Boat, and this is just totally on me, is that I'm having, I'm having a lot of cognitive cognitive dissonance with the 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 onslaught of puberty. Um, yeah, and, but I think they're handling it well because like the one of the things they do it seems like is because all of a sudden Eddie's huge. Right. They're moving into a little bit more serious territory with him. It's mm-hmm. not going to be a, a dramedy all of a sudden, but they're kind of willing to treat him as a young adult instead of a kid now. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's it, I think I think you'll get past it. I think you'll. No, I've, I've been watching. I've been keeping up, okay. and so it's. It, but it's just like every time he speaks, I'm like ah. But in a good way, and I think you know he. It seems like it's not hitting him in a particularly awkward way. It's just like oh my god that. Guy, that kid used to be so kid-like, and now he's not kid-like. If we know anything about Liz, any sort of physical change of a of an actor on TV just throws her way off balance. I handle change really well, Ben. I don't know what you're talking you, about. You don't recognize people when their facial hair or hairstyle <laughs> changes, and if they grow a foot, you just can't take them seriously as the age that they actually are. It's just disconcerting. <laughs> By the way, Ben is growing a goatee right now, and I'm very glad that he's been. I've been in the office and seen it progress because um, if he if he just suddenly showed up with it, I would stop recognizing him. Uh, it's no shave November, and I'm happy to support the cause. And at the same time, I hope at one point I'm sitting in the office and Liz comes in and she looks at me and she goes, "Who are you? Where'd Ben go?" If you got a really dramatic haircut and then also had the goatee, it would probably happen. I'm gonna go to New York and I'm gonna I'm gonna like. Take a bunch of human growth hormones, yeah. get, get the facial hair going, and yeah. then I'm going to shave my head. And there you come go. Back. We'll not recognize you. It'll be fun. Yeah. All right, Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week? Oh, man. I actually, I think I wrote it down just because I was, I knew it and I wrote it down and now I have to look it up. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to shout out for Lady Dynamite here, um, which is the very fun, very little discussed, but really that's a damn shame. Uh, Netflix comedy starring Maria Bamford. Um, it's, one of the most inventive shows on television. It has such fun playing with tropes and tropes and, I, and genres and ideas. It has one of the best guest casts ever. Like they just consistently bring in amazing people, especially there's a lot of, a, a big emphasis on women over 40. Um, this is a show that manages to fit into its ensemble, like Anna Gassmeyer, um, Anna Gassmeyer, uh, Judy Greer, 
uh, I think Rachel Drash is, Rachel Drash has probably been on. Like, can you help me out here? Like, I'm trying to remember. Oh, who else is in it? Yeah. No, I oh, can't. The woman. Uh, you named, like, literally the three ones that I know. Oh, uh, June Diane Raphael, though she's Wait, not. she's in it? Yeah, she. I she, don't remember she, her. She, she's uh, in later episodes of the oh, season. Yeah. Uh, mm. Another woman, too. It's like this, there's this one scene where they're just, like, these three amazing women comedians. And you're well, like, they had a lot of good guests this year. Wasn't, um... Didn't Jill Soloway come on this year? Jill Soloway has an episode. It plays herself in an episode. Yeah. Um, it's very fun. Or themselves. Oh, I Lennon think. Parnum is on there. Lennon Parnum. That's it. That was the one I was blanking on. Bridget Everett, too. Bridget Everett. Yeah. No, it's an amazing cast of women. And uh, I am very excited. for. I have seen the first three episodes of season two at this moment. I'm looking forward to seeing more when it premieres. Uh over the weekend as you listen to this. So you've already been able to see it. But you should definitely watch it if you didn't because it's great. Yeah, and quickly, um, because it just kind of came into my mind with Bridget Everett, uh, the Amazon pilots debuted on Friday. Yes. Uh, and we'll have reviews up for those uh, as you're listening to this. But uh, I can safely say that, that Sea Oak is great, as mentioned earlier with the James Vanderbeek, uh, Vanderbeek. discussion. Uh, he's not really a big part of it. It's Glenn Close's show, but it's it's a really good pilot, and I would I really hope they pick it up. Um, cool. And then uh, Bridget Everett has her own show, too. Yeah, so. which is that, that's the one I'm reviewing. So. Yeah, so. I have to watch that at some point today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, The next thing I'm looking forward to is Search Party Season 2. It is finally here. It um, felt like it was... Well, the screeners are here. It doesn't premiere for like two weeks, right? Well, it premieres the 19th. So as you're listening to this, it'll be that Sunday. So it's coming up. Um, And it, to me, felt like it was so far away for so long but we'd been talking about it, and obviously we've been excited for it, and I'm very curious to see where it goes. Uh, we've had screeners for a little bit, so that's been exciting. Uh, I'm going to obviously dig into it very soon to get a review up, but, um, yeah, that one, uh, TBS, uh, Alia, Shawcat, tremendous cast. Uh, I, I, there's really not a lot I want to say about it if you haven't watched it yet, and I, it's going to be a similar situation with Season 2 where I'll try to describe the the form that it's taken in its second season but it can go in so many different directions i kind of want to leave that up to the viewers because that's a big part of the fun of watching it it's it's its own thing yeah. and that's a a, a treat it's the david S. Pumpkins age. of tv shows yes <laughs> let's not run with that but sure uh liz what's the next thing you're looking forward to um i'm gonna be completely honest and say that with the thing i am legitimately at this moment most looking forward to even though it, when when this podcast when this po- episode posts uh you it will have aired and everything but i am checking my email every minute except for the minutes that we've spent recording this podcast uh waiting for my star trek discovery screener i need it i need it bad um but You're star trek just Dis- worried about a fan theory coming true it's gonna be really sad if it's true yeah yeah it's gonna be really sad for a number of reasons um, with many of which I outlined already in my post for IndieWire. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, but basically what happened was I wrote that post and then I, I, I wrote my review of, of the Sunday episode and then I wrote that post, uh, which was basically kind of generated from the fact that when I was working on my review initially, like I found myself writing 400 words on the fan theory. I was like, I think this is its own thing now. Like, I think I need to take take some time and think about it. But as soon as I finished the fan theory post, I was like, oh crap, now I just really desperately need to know if it's true or not. Uh, and the thing is, they might not even reveal it in the mid-season finale. It might still be a thing in the in the back half of the season, what they're calling quote-unquote chapter two. And I'm going, 
<laughs> I'm going a little mad, Ben, but hopefully it comes today. Hopefully it comes today. We were recording this on Thursday. Hopefully I have it today. Hopefully we'll I'll, I'll know things for sure by the time you're listening to this. We'll, but I'm very worried. Very worried, Ben. I'm going to start going a little mad if they start referring to half seasons as chapter one and chapter two. That's <laughs> just stupid. <laughs> Ben has his arms crossed. He is not here for it. Not at all. Get out of here. <laughs> You're supposed to be in the future. Books aren't the future. They're the past. Oh. Actually, there is literally in an episode of Star Trek Discovery, um, main character pulls out a book, like an old like antique book from her bag, and her, her roommate's like, you have a book? Is that a book? What is that thing? I know I just made that joke, but it's, it's so sad, really, because books are great. Books are great. I miss books. Yeah. Um, I used to read them. I know this. I have the evidence is scattered all over my apartment. Um, but instead, I watch TV now. So, and you can read all about the TV. I and my re- the rest of our lovely staff re- watches on IndieWire.com, where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features. And you can listen to other IndieWire podcasts that do exist on IndieWire called Turn It On Podcast with our own Michael Schneider. Yep. The Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast with Chris O'Fault. Yep. And, of course, the one that started it all, Screen Talk with Ann Thompson and IndieWire Deputy Editor and Film Critic Eric Cohn. Why you went with, why'd you go for the full title there? I don't know. Okay. Just felt, felt like snazzing it up a bit. Sure, sure. That Lady Ann and then... <laughs> Ann Thompson needs no title. Ann Thompson is Ann Thompson. That is true. That is very true. Um, we will be back next week. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, go Hawkeyes. Keep watching television.